0: Welcome to Ecommerce Innovators, a podcast that brings together the brightest minds in the industry to explore innovative strategies and trends in global e-commerce. Our host is John LeBaron, Chief Revenue Officer at Pattern, the premier partner for global e-commerce acceleration. Welcome to Ecommerce Innovators. My name is John LeBaron. I am the Chief Revenue Officer at Pattern, and I am the host of this podcast. And today we are excited to bring another super innovative e-commerce expert to the show. Welcome to the show, Eitan Wiener. He is the CEO of Getita and a serial entrepreneur. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me here. Happy to be here.
0: Yeah, you bet. So you have, of all the different guests I've talked to, you may be one of the earliest into the Amazon e-commerce world, especially on the 3 P side. most folks tell us a little bit about where you got into this world and then we'll get into where you're currently at and and we'll we'll be excited to learn a little bit more about gotita but where did you get your start
1: sure um i actually dropped out of dental school and i got into digital marketing which was becoming a a hot thing then so there's a whole story within that but i'll fast forward i guess when i started like e-commerce like 20 2009 2010 it was very primitive and I use some of my digital marketing SEO pay per click skills to actually sell products. Yeah. So I was working with a company that we sold like wireless infrastructure products and very slow sales cycle. So we started selling some of the end user devices on eBay. And we saw a lot of uptick because there wasn't really competitors. And a lot of these yeah. companies didn't know how to how to brand themselves. Yep. Yeah. And then we pivoted to a Magento website and we had a lot of brands that kind of followed along. And then we finally hit this whole Amazon. Uh, world when it was very different than it is now still difficult but um much more much easier than it is now and then kind of the rest is history but I got in I guess early compared to 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 the folks now and, and I think along the way we, we've tried every different business model that that exists and and, and failed a lot but, but hopefully uh you know got somewhere
0: yeah absolutely and, and along the way you've built companies you've sold companies you've exited So I guess at this point that you started, FBA was a thing. I think it started in like, I don't know, 06 or something like that. So at least the third-party network in its infancy or the third-party 3P kind of side of Amazon, but FBA was a thing. Tell us about those early days. How many fulfillment centers were there? How fast was the shipping? Were you using FBA? Were you drop shipping from your own warehouses you? Uh, pulling in drop shipping from, from the brands warehouse. tell us a little bit about that side of it.
1: Yeah. It it could be in 2006, it was a concept, but it wasn't really commercially rolled out until like 2009. Yeah. So per what I know, I was one of the first like 20 or 30 FBA sellers. Wow. Um, Initially um, I had this contact that we spoke about, uh, James Thompson who's still a friend of mine and partner. Yeah. And he was an executive there trying to pioneer the program. And I didn't, Understand why that was a normal thing to send Amazon your inventory. Obviously now, yeah, you know, people realize why it's brilliant yet challenging. But we just were selling on Amazon and they're like, and he's like, send this, send this, send this, stock this, source this. And I was like, okay. And we just did, and the sales blew up <laughs> because of that. You know, Prime. The fact that that sellers or, or buyers thought it was Amazon didn't know the difference. It was brilliant. So we started sending to one warehouse in Pennsylvania near nearby. Eventually they built a few others, but I think there was only like five or six back then. Obviously, there's hundreds now. That was the those are the early days. Yeah, amazing. Okay. So you get to this point and we describe ourselves a pattern as an accelerator
0: um, because we accelerate brands, we partner with them. Obviously, massive run up in the last couple of years as an aggregator for the aggregators, you know, with Razio and Perch and Heyday and all these other folks, and a little bit of a crash of, of that market. Uh, you were, again, kind of a pioneer in both of those worlds because you actually, I think you, you say you started your own brands as well as selling exclusively other brands. Uh, tell us a little yeah. bit more about those and how you ultimately yeah. kind of exited that,
1: that business. Yeah, good point. So um, we started reselling brands like more exclusively, um, kind of like what you guys do now. And we're doing the ads, we're doing the fulfillment. You know, Maybe we took somewhat of a higher margin, but we did everything for them. Yeah. I guess that's called acceleration or we called it exclusive reselling. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, you know, uh, that, w- that was successful based on the brand and the profile. We also started based on the trend to like try to make our own products and brands or bundles. So my partner had this idea to create a brand around our products. So we had tech products, for example, we had a, a podcasting mic and we would make accessories for it. So a cable adapter. Yeah. Under this blue coil brand. So we didn't have to go all in and make a mic, which would be expensive. And we kind of failed at that making electronics because it's very hard. Yeah. So we made accessories. So we would look at the reviews, feedback. We would work with the brand and see what people wanted and then offer a solution. So the, the client, the, the customer got a, a full package. The brand was happy. They didn't have time to make accessories. And we had our own dedicated ASINs and pages that proliferated. And by the time we sold, we had like, I think 70% of our sales had some kind of bundle component. Yeah. So it's a nice hybrid between private label and resale actually. Um, It's it's an interesting, you know, how that has changed to your point now, with aggregators, but I guess we were like a blend.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. So at some point um, you decided to exit that, or, you know, you had an offer to, to sell it. Tell us a little bit about that transition and how you ended up at uh, Gatita or maybe there was this, tale of what between I don't I don't know the
1: timeline. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yes, I don't know. I think we were a bit burnt out or reached our capacity of growth on different levels and looked to sell now. This is before the like this aggregator concept existed. So to sell a business that was inventory based, you know, similar to like what you guys are doing, like was, yeah, was crazy. Like what? Like what? Well, what's the value, right? What's what's the acceleration? What's the totally? Sure we could talk about it, but um. So it was hard for me to find the right acquirer um, because people didn't want to take on inventory. And then you know, eight months later, everyone was buying inventory brands like it was you know the hottest thing. Yeah, yeah. But we still had interesting opportunities and we decided to go with this this public company. And it was it was uh, an experience, you know, diligence in the process and the transition. It's, it's from going to a you know entrepreneurial company with like 20, 30 employees to a, a four billion dollar company with I don't know how many employees it was was challenging to transition, but you know, I learned a lot. And while I was transitioning, um, Covid uh, began. so uh, which is another challenge, but um as everyone knows, and i I started to work in the offices of Gatita because it's right by me in T-Neck. I was actually a client of theirs. Um they helped me with reimbursements on my business. And when I sold my business, it had a really material impact. Basically, we get sellers back money from Amazon. We only take a percent of recovery. So every dollar you get back, your EBITDA's multiple really yeah. impacted me, and I was like, "Hey, this is so cool! Like, maybe I can get more involved." And the long, the short story is, I did. The long story is, you know, we had negotiations, and <laughs> I got a really interesting look behind the scenes because I was working there every day while I transitioned. Sure. And then, and then eventually, I actually invested in the company in the beginning of '21, and I'm the CEO. We're, we're growing nicely now, and it's it's fun being on the service side, which is like my my third uh, reincarnation.
0: Yeah, amazing. Well, uh, to your point, you know, Gatita is super innovative. Um, I think it's just one of those, how do you reduce friction out of a sales model? And in some ways, it's a, well, not in some ways, in every way, it's a pervasive problem. If you are an Amazon seller, and do you guys work on the 1P side too, or is it only 3P? Yes,
1: yeah, so we don't have our own tech for 1P. It's a bit more manual and Sure. fragmented as you know unlimited but we do have partners that do it it's just a different process but it's sure. it's the same concept of cost savings yeah. yeah well i i look at it as like
0: almost all upside and if if the value proposition is we're going to take a small part of the upside i mean how can you argue with that it's basically kind of like free money right so i think it's a super innovative business model um one to some degree that probably can be copied and so I'm sure you have a lot of people trying to copy you. What what gives you a strategic moat in that other people can't do it as well yeah. or as quickly uh, or as efficiently as you guys?
1: Yeah, it's a good point. So it's very easy um, to sell free money, but the problem is awareness. So I think with you guys too, like people don't really know sure. what pattern does or yeah. like, why do I need you? Or maybe I really need you. Yeah. You have to first reach the sellers, which is sometimes hard. But then you have to tell them that what well, you do. And again, our biggest competitor, I'll talk about competitors in a moment, but our biggest competitor, I like to say is education because no one understands. So people don't know that Amazon makes mistakes. They think they're perfect. <laughs> people don't know that you could complain or or open a case to dispute. People don't know that there's a company that, like ours that does it and that we you know, hopefully do a good job. So those are four barriers. So we have a nice percent of the market, but There's a tremendous amount more that just don't know we exist, whether they're in China or Germany or in the middle of Utah, and they just don't know because they're not going to accelerate and they're not going to prosper. Um, So we're trying to educate, but as far as competition and mode is concerned, we have a team of about 150 people. We have a lot of development and technology. A lot of the reimbursement flow is, I wouldn't say automated, but we pull in data via the API for an Amazon approved vendor. And then we have a team that actually files cases. A lot of these are ex-Amazon people that are in the Philippines and elsewhere. So it's reading every case, it's reviewing its detail and depth. Um, and it's a lot of programming and it's a lot of data. We're pulling in you know, billions of dollars of transactions daily. So certainly you or anyone could compete, but the service team we've built and my partners have been doing it since 2016 is quite robust. So you know someone could compete with Pattern two, but they haven't been doing it for seven, eight years. That's really what it comes down to. And finally, but not least, we just focus on this. We don't do advertising. We don't do three p l. We don't do translation. We just do reimbursements. Sounds boring. We try to make it fun and sexy. And thank God we're doing we're doing a good job and it's 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 growing tremendously,
0: yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Um, and it's a good point, right? Like we're a customer, you know, we use you guys, but I don't think we've been a customer for a super long time and and to your point, yeah, I mean, we're Oh my gosh, I think we shipped, um, you know, 500,000 units this week alone. And, uh, you know, so it's, we're shipping over 100,000 units a day. And, yeah. uh, and it's, you know, there's a lot that, so, there's a lot of upside, right? So it's, it's pretty amazing.
1: That, that's actually a good point, because you guys are a customer and I work closely with your team. It's pretty great. And you guys do some stuff in house, like you have some processes that are great in house. And I always encourage that to people like do what you can go crazy, but, but then look to an expert to help. Because again, to your point, like it's free money if you wouldn't have known. And yeah. even though you guys are on top of your game, there's certain things you should focus on more than the, the one or 2%. So yeah. we work with the things that make sense. And and you guys, we actually have a great relationship because of that. Cause you guys really know your stuff. Um, some sellers do, some sellers don't, but it's not, it's not all or none, right? We can customize and, and whatnot. So I think it's, uh, to your point, it's a, it's a pretty no much of a no-brainer. Yeah. How do I educate people that and, and scale it? Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, uh, you mentioned something a second ago, which I think we skimmed over. We had talked about it earlier, but I think we skimmed over here in the actual podcast is tell us a little bit about Prosper. I mean, you had this relationship with James Thompson and if if listeners don't know James Thompson, I would be kind of surprised. But um, uh, I mean, you can Google him or whatever, but he's had his own kind of career and been exiting and selling companies and writing books. And uh, he's kind of yeah, like yeah. foremost experts on Amazon's 3P and worked at Amazon and uh, actually built a company or acquired a company in our backyard here in Utah. Um, yeah. and has referred many brands to us and vice versa. So he's, he's a great kind of like whatever, ambassador or grandfather of the industry sort of thing as well. Uh, tell us a little bit about that and, and how it went and, and just yeah. kind of your take on that.
1: Yeah. He's one of my favorite people talk a lot. Um, and friends, um, again, he was my Amazon rep. There was no Amazon reps. Then there was no, and there still is not such intimate or strategic client representation as, as you know, it's a little vague purposeful. Yeah, absolutely. It's a whole topic in itself, but he was an executive who wanted FB to succeed but he's the guy who, before Amazon had Selling Coach or whatnot, would just like send mass emails out of Outlook to like 9 million sellers because he just <laughs> cared about them and about the vision. So he would email me and I would reply. And I don't think a lot of people would reply. This is yeah. just a lesson in general that you should just, you never know. We could talk about that too. And he would reply back and we would just talk. And, then I, and I called him and I was very into relationships and going to Amazon and, and trying to get that connection, which we're trying to do now on the service side as well. just invaluable and in this case it was even more because we became good friends he helped us grow when he left amazon he he started consulting and then we went to a show and it was very it was very like hey here's our show blah 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 use our software you know you guys put on a great show on the contrary it's like education you could use us you could not this show is a a company that you know but it's very like we're amazing we use our software here's some content here's some food yeah like it's so so not smart but why is there nothing better now this is when there weren't i mean i'm very involved with these shows now because we do a lot of shows i'm very involved in the shows and the facebook and the telegram and all these communities and international yeah there was nothing then we had to so to speak suffer if your account got suspended you were in a silo you had no help you had no one to talk to there was no groups there was no masterminds now there's um, there was so many but in 2016 which is not so long ago right uh, there was nothing so we decided to do a show in Salt Lake City where you are and the first year was very successful we had over like four or 500 sellers and 30 service providers now those service providers i had to beg to pay a few thousand dollars to come yeah and you know that was the beginning and then really james was the spearheaded it um the content the flow everything it just grew up tremendously so by the time we sold it it had you know almost 2000 attendees and 130 exhibitors and the company that bought it, you know, really wanted it obviously an angle into e-commerce because this is the new trade show, you know, reality, as you guys know. So that's a little short vignette about James and that journey.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's amazing. And uh, again, he's, he's done plenty of other journeys and exits acquisition on his own. So it's, it's really fun to see the evolution. Well, I guess in the spirit of, e-commerce innovators and this podcast, et cetera. Tell us a little bit about innovation. Uh, innovation in your career, innovation at Katita, how you think about innovation. It's a honestly, it's it's kind of a kitsch word uh and, and a little bit trite, but I mean at its core, it is about newness, it's about inventiveness, it's about reinventing yourself. Uh, tell us a little bit about how how you approach it and and what makes Katita specifically so innovative.
1: Yeah. Um, kind of touching on my career. Like as you see, like I started with one thing, went into selling and then went into a show, which is more like content social and then went into a service. Yeah. So I think on my own right, I try to innovate. Like a lot of times I invest in what I believe in. Right. So I started um, a seller business and then the show was kind of related because it had to do with the seller community. Yeah. And then I had a service that I used and then I invested in that. Now I've failed and I've tried to create my own services. I actually created a reimbursement service a long time ago and someone kind of ran with it. I just didn't have the time. And I realized that I was too scattered. But I think, I guess this is a bit of a stretch, but I think my innovation is to take like, to look at what I've done and not and like learn from the lesson. So for example, Gatito is a good service. I I knew I could take it to the next level. I had the network. And instead of just saying to our client and being nice, I was like, wait, what's going to happen after I sell Quantum? Where am I going to go? So then I thought about that and then I I tried it out, so to speak, and I was privileged to. But now, so that's this journey. Now it's like, okay, where do we go next, right? How do we go global? How do we audit Walmart? How do we pivot? So I don't know if that satisfies your question, but I think innovating your own journey and process. So I went from a seller to a show poster to a service provider, right? What's next? Software. Yeah. Right now we're like a software and a service. I hope that answers your innovation question, but that's yeah. kind of my motivation.
0: Yeah, it does. And I guess I mean, you talked a little bit about what is on the roadmap. And how long how long have you, have you been at Katita as the CEO? Um,
1: almost two years.
0: Okay. So almost two years. You came in at a crazy time, you know, kind of like right around this COVID, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that was crazy. It was like a global pandemic. So that's a crazy time to get into a company. I mean, What are you most proud of in the time that you've been there? Yeah, Uh, so yeah.
1: um, Yeah, we've grown tremendously. We probably, since I joined, we probably grew 10 times. Um, Wow. um, And then recently we just got a pretty cool strategic investment from like a private equity group that's rolling up cost savings businesses. So now we have access to capital and talent and know how. So um, I'm proud of the growth, but I'm really proud also of the team we built, like really great culture really great environment, whether it's in our office in New Jersey, or we have a team in Israel, we have a team in Europe, um, just great people. And I'll also say, like, I didn't mention this before, but I'm very into, you know, humbly speaking, like helping. So I like to help people or sellers or anyone listening. Um, and I think what we do in, in saving people money, so to speak, from Amazon helps. But if people have other issues or concerns, we, we always post content about ways to add value to sellers. So we're, certainly we're focused on what we do. but I'm proud about the fact that we're like we're known as supporting the community and supporting the shows and just like trying to do the right thing yeah it sounds cheesy but it's true and I'm more proud of that than the growth honestly because I think that's more important sometimes than money and 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 all that so yeah yeah, it keeps well
0: I won't wrap it up yet but speaking of like what's your email address where where, what's the best Uh, people to find you yeah anyone ask you questions
1: yeah, anyone could re- email me. It's Aytan, E-Y-T-A-N, at katita.com. I almost always reply. I like to help, no yeah. matter what the question is. And I was actually speaking at a show the other day how, you know, whenever someone messages me, as long as it's not, you know, spam or whatever, I always try uh, to help. Yeah. And through those calls, sometimes I met great friends. I've invested in companies. I've helped out charity-wise. Like, different things you never know. Sure. Um, but I think people are afraid to to reach out. Not that I'm so special at all. But I encourage people to, whether they reach out to you or me, like, you need to do that. That's what I tried to do when I grew to learn from, you know, peers and, and mentors, whether it's James or whoever. Like, if I didn't reach out to James that time, my life would be very different now. Yeah. But I did, right? So, and a lot of times you try and you fail, but there's always going to be that, hopefully that one person that listens to you and 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 nurtures you. So I'm happy to do that to, to, if people reach out. And I think people should do that as well.
0: Yeah. That's pretty interesting. I mean, the trajectory of our lives, it turns on pretty small hinges. And I think yeah. those hinges get created by these types of relationships that we build and, and the networks that we create. And I couldn't, uh, I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah. it's amazing how much you take away. Like I, I learned a lot from James, even though I've probably only had, I don't know, fewer than 10 conversations with him, but you kind of, he's one of those people that you you learn a lot from. And so I think, Uh, Absolutely. You're going to learn a lot. You're going to, the direction of your life will change. And I guess that's karma in a way, right? Like you put it out there and I'll come back to you.
1: 100%.
0: Yeah. Uh, Well, tell us a little bit more about, I mean, like I said, you're kind of this elder statesman, uh, no offense, in the industry. (laughs) You've been in long enough. You've seen a lot of kind of the movie play out. There are so many different macro trends happening right now not just on Amazon, right, for sure on Walmart, but even internationally with Alibaba. And we've got these wars, we've got this, you know, we've got currency manipulation. We've got all these other crazy, we've got, you know, regulation happening. We're just at this point of recording this, kind of the midterm elections happening. um, And we'll see where all that kind of goes. But as you look at some of these macro trends, you've got, you know, big executives uh, from Amazon leaving the company with, you know, not only, Jeff Bezos, but Dave Clark and, you know, some of these luminaries that have been at the company for a, a really long time, Jeff Wilkie. How do you make sense of it? What, how do you see the tea leaves kind of coming together? And is there anything that as you think about brands today and think of like, what do they need to do to be access, successful? How do they need to innovate? Do you have any advice uh, for any of those brands that might be listening today of you see the the trends coming together. What do brands need to do today to be successful tomorrow?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Deep. Uh, as far as Amazon's concerned, though, and I was reading some some doomsday uh, articles yesterday. Like, I mean, they're so big and powerful. Like, it, it's it's immaterial. Yeah. If a bunch of people leave, or if a fulfillment center is understocked, I mean, they're so because, for example, we audit Amazon uh, FPA. Primarily yeah. in, in, in every country, and you know a lot of clients ask us if we will audit Walmart fulfillment, and I said we'll get to it, but it's only 0.02 percent of Amazon. Yeah. Yep. So, so that doesn't mean you shouldn't try Walmart. You should, um, because it's growing and there's different opportunities. I just think Amazon's so big that you can't ignore it. So if you work with Pattern to help you, or you do it on your own, or you hire someone in house, like you just can't ignore it. I've always been saying that, but it's obviously more obvious now. Um, Having said that, if you're a brand, you have to think like Omnichannel too. So if you want to sell in China and look at Alibaba or other marketplaces, you need software technology partners to get you there. And pretty soon, like you need, you need to be in these places. Yeah. I think, re- I think retail will go away uh, completely, actually. Uh, maybe people will be angry that I'm saying that, but I, I do. Uh, for the most part, there's, there's some rare exceptions and, and you see that trend. So um I guess my advice for brands is to understand the footprint. A lot of brands you could argue, and I used to like, maybe shouldn't be on Amazon, but at least you have to know what's going on there and why and how. Maybe you're a really fancy luxury brand and you don't want to be there for a certain reason, but you have to know if you have competitors and knockoffs there. And you have to know what people are doing in China, your competitors or your resellers. And I I guess the suggestion is like awareness. So whether you have a software or a tool or a dashboard, I know you guys have a lot of that. And there's others out there, like really understand as a brand what's happening. You know so if you're just selling it to retail you know sales, but the the web is so vast that you just don't know what's going on yeah and i've seen brands really get hurt or screwed whatever the word is by not understanding you know local presence and diversion all these things that you really have to be aware of as you grow um and and, and thankfully there's software that can help you with that sure um so those are some those are some suggestions
0: yeah uh it's super fun well wow. One of the things that I'm always curious about when we get folks on the, the show and, and interested to hear your thoughts as well is, you know, you've been super successful. I, I think, you know, by almost any objective measure, folks that are listening would be like, yeah, how, did, how do they do it? You know, how did Eton kind of exit the, have these great exits? How did he grow a company 10X? Like, tell us about one leadership principle um, that you think has led to your own success.
1: I was gonna say culture. I know we we spoke about it before, which is maybe I'll give you two. So, so like not being afraid to fail and, and culture, and they go they go kind of with each other. Yeah. So I've had to actually I spoke at a show in New York uh, this week, and I was listening to some of the things that that I've achieved that we spoke about, like Prosper and Quantum and Yeah, uh, and actually some other ventures, and then I had a slide or two of everything I failed at, mm. and I and I and it was many more things than I've succeeded at. <laughs> from small decisions to full-fledged businesses investments total flops and i I have a very big problem where all these influencers and and online personas you know make it like it's all good everything's great like we, we killed it we crushed it we raised a gajillion dollars no one talks about failure i mean it's starting to happen more now but no one talks about vulnerability failure getting down or depressed or all these things and like I've definitely dealt with that. And um, I try to talk about it and be real about it. Cause I feel if you just, you know, read about success, you know, it's very hard to, to persist when you have rough days or, or when you're running out of money. And I, I've been there like a lot. So I'm just trying to be, I, I guess I just try to be more grounded and know that I fail every day and I succeed, but hopefully long-term you'll really succeed because you need to fail. It's not like, it's not like, Oh, I failed. You need to fail and learn from the mistake. So the key is, I guess, to sum it up, sorry, learn from why you failed. Meaning a lot of things I failed is because I spread myself too thin and I didn't have to focus on it. So I just didn't get the attention. That's it. Yeah. But that's another thing, focus, right? Usually that's what it's about. Or sometimes it's just not something you should be doing. But I guess not being afraid to fail and kind of persevering when you do something I really, really believe in and I've seen in my own life, um, but also not being afraid to talk about you failed and, and and to be open about that. And I think when you are with people and employees and teams, you know, they respect that more because they realize you're more of a real person. They respect you and and the culture, you know, benefits accordingly. So
0: yeah. How that's something that get, I like to profess. How does that get manifested in in the culture at Katita, Right. Like do you uh I mean hopefully you don't encourage failure, but in a in a way it's just like you 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 celebrate it or you could celebrate it or you could, it, or you could be like let what do we do with this like i think to your yeah. point people are hesitant to be vulnerable about vulnerable it's, i think about it because they think that's going to be punitive or whatever so
1: yeah i mean I, I could do a better job with this i think we have a great culture which is a separate topic and discussion and i'm very proud of it and it's unique um it, it stems around you know trying to help people and sellers and that whole vibe that i mentioned before but i think i'm just i, I have thicker skin now and i'm more i guess try to be more transparent and real with people that if like Amazon changed the policy or our competitor did whatever, I, I used to get very, take it personal or get very flustered. And, and and sometimes I do, of course, but I just try to show people like, okay, like this is annoying or this is bad, or this person has to be let go, but we'll move on and not get phased by it. I think as a leader, you have to show, you know, you have to show that confidence, even if inside you're you're hurting. And that's really hard because I'm more emotional and I try to be transparent and sincere, but like sometimes it's just really tough to keep a straight face, but you need to because everyone's yeah. looking at you. Yeah, and I struggle with that, but I try and I think i'm'm I'm, I'm getting better at it. and so no matter what happens, people know like we'll be okay. okay, we have so many tickets, our system are overloaded, Amazon, you know the API we, we migrated to this SP API. Here's a good example. and it was really brutal because Amazon it was just very tough because we have lots of data. And we were basically—I wouldn't say down, like we were still servicing—but it was extremely difficult and all-nighters and all that. And I had to just try to show confidence to everybody that you know we'll fix it. Of course, we did, but it was not easy. Yeah, um, that's something that I that I'm that I'm working on. That I think everybody every leader should as well.
0: Yeah, well, it's it's really interesting. You know, I've been at Pattern now almost five years, and when I got here, I think there were you know forty some odd folks, 50, I don't know. And I think we got 1200 employees now. So it's it's been this like crazy roller coaster. But now when I look back, it's really funny. Like, I guess you kind of remember the successes, but you mostly remember the failures and you mostly remember how it drove cohesion in the organization because you end up, it's like when you emerge victorious from the, the storm, the people that you surrounded yourself with Um, there's something very special that happens with those types of relationships. It's like, uh, you know, forged in blood sort of thing. So uh, I I can definitely um, empathize with what you're saying.
1: That's that's actually maybe a deeper or different point that, yeah, when we went through that together, we just became stronger. And we know, like, hey, we could do this. We could do other things. And it's a team, right? You can't do it by yourself. You have to rely on others and and collaborate. So, yeah, I I totally resonates with me, of course. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to get to know you better, Aton. I'm so envious and proud of all of your success, and I, I only wish you. the very best, especially heading into a, another crazy season. But uh, thank you so much for joining the show, and uh, we we'll look forward to having you on again at some point in the future.
1: Thank you for having me. It was it was great. Appreciate all it. All right.
0: All right. Well, this is e-commerce innovators. If you ever have any recommendations on how we can improve the show or guests that you would like to hear from, please do not be afraid to reach out. My email is john at pattern.com and we will catch you on the next episode. Take care, everyone.